We all have a reason why we come. There's a reason why you find yourself, maybe for some of you, Sunday at 1 o'clock, where do you find yourself? Nap. Nap. <laughs> right on the couch. There's some of you where you, there's a reason you'll find yourself on a maybe Tuesday night uh, with your small group. Or maybe there's a reason you'll find yourself on a Friday night taking your wife out for a date having a conversation, there's a reason behind why you do some things that you do. And typically, or hopefully, they're good reasons. And when you come to church, there's a reason why you come. Or you come to a Bible study, there's a reason why you come. Maybe, like we were talking about, it's the food, you wanted some wings. Maybe it's just to talk with some guys about whatever and waste the time. Maybe you didn't have anything else better to do. You didn't have the boat, boating seasons done. Uh, maybe for some of you, you had to get away from the wife and the kids for a night just to breathe. I don't know what it is, but there's a reason why you come. And typically, typically, almost 10 days out of 10, when you come, there's something that we are trying to accomplish in our lives as we look at the Bible, and then when you leave. The purpose is for when you walk out of those doors. This is what we want you to do. This is how we want to think differently. So we come for that reason. In chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, it has been addressing the relationships that we have horizontally. What, the things that we're dealing with, with the person or the season we're in. And tonight, in chapter 5, it deals with the vertical. Our relationship with God. And that is actually every relationship. And, and at, at its core, what we're dealing with, is it not? In Ecclesiastes 5, it's addressing when you come. How we're supposed to come and what it's supposed to look like. We have different perspectives, we have different issues, we have different things that we come, whether we are prepared or not. Sometimes you're distracted, you got things going on, you're tired, you're annoyed, you were chugging coffee on the way here, don't know how you're going to make it, you had this conversation, this argument, and is it usually not just like God, to when we least expect it, he speaks right to your heart. He ministers right to you. But tonight, what Solomon is going to teach us is there is a way in which we are supposed to approach him. There's a way in which that when we come to church, there's a posture that he wants from you and I. And even when I don't really think about it and don't really care and don't really act like I should or whatever, Solomon is going to give instructions on how we are to come to the house of God, and also to how to come to the throne of God. I got a text on Monday, and it was one, or it was about 9 a.m., and it said, I would like to come in and see you and talk to you. I said, you could come at around 1 or 1.15. She had come in to my office, 1.15, and she began to have a conversation with me about how she has issues in her life that she believes God could not handle. You don't know what I have done. You don't know what has been done to me. And it is almost a, an affront to God just by me coming to him. And she went on and on and on. She said, I have too many issues to approach him. 
There's just so much there. And I don't even want to tell you all the things or don't even want to get into the details because by me telling you, it would hurt you. I feel like just be dragging other people down. I explained to her what happens when you approach God and the freedom that comes and the forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. And she said to me, these are too heavy for him to bear. I grabbed my Bible just because I know how good God is. I, said, I got a new Bible, got her a Bible, and I explained to her and I said, if you wanted to give your life to Christ, would you know how? And she said, I would not. I explained to her the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I put a sticky note on Romans 10.9. And I said, later today, God is going to speak to your heart. And you are going to want to call out to him and start a relationship with him. And I didn't say if. I said, when that happens, this is all you need to do. That was Monday at 2.15, she left my office. I prayed with her. I got a text, Wednesday, 10 a.m. I want to let you know I've accepted Christ as my Savior. Romans 10.9. Everybody wants to approach God. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has set eternity in our heart. And Solomon is addressing that, not if, but when you come. How we are to come and what we are to expect. Tonight, in chapter 5, my first point is, when you come, come as you are. When you come, come as you are. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when. He does not say if. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And Solomon, sorry, it is so hard for me to read the whole passage and talk because I, I have things I want to say about it. When you go to the house of God in 1 Kings 8, Solomon is a master architect. I know some of you got some skills. You can build a doghouse. Maybe some of you are like, no, I built houses. You got some skills in the bag. But Solomon would whoop you in the dust when it comes to building things. And he built the house of God in the temple in 1 Kings 8. The details are miraculous. The size, the thought, everything he's put into it. And he says, when you approach the house, guard your steps when you come. Here's what it says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. What is doing evil and what do foolish people do when they approach God? They don't believe that he actually is who he said he was. They don't listen and they don't believe be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and some of you will remember the song, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. What Solomon is teaching, 
when you come, not if, but when you come, come real, come as you are with all of your stuff. And why does he say, let your words be few? He says that for this very reason. Because when we come to God, as a fool would come, hasty in our words, we come not to change, but just to talk. Just to talk. And when we approach God on our own or in a foolish way, and I come fake, how do I often come? I'm not really praying honest things or real things. I'm just saying things because it's what we're supposed to say. I got big theological words sometimes I didn't even know I knew. I'll start saying random stuff I heard one pastor say one time because it sounded sweet. It got a, mmm. So I'll pray that way. But Solomon says, when you come, come as you are. And he says, guard your steps. Why? Because the direction of your feet, the direction of your feet determine the direction of your life. It dictates it. And, he, and, and I love the practicality of it because he is not, he is not, I mean, he's a smart guy, but smart people are able to make it applicable to everyone. The best professors in college are not the ones you don't understand, right? It's the ones that take very hard principles and make them simple. If you are walking in a certain direction, guess what? That is the direction you are going, So he says, when you go to God, guard your steps, but let your words be few, because often we babble, and we run our mouth, and we don't consider what we are saying to God, and we never listen to what he has to say back to us. Maybe it was early on in your Christian life, but I believe, and maybe not all, it just depends, I guess, on your personality, but... There's been moments when you come to God, he wants you to come real rather than fake because we are so good at projecting how we want to be perceived or seen. Solomon's wisdom is unfathomable. It is beyond what I can imagine. His wisdom is insane. I mean, even this past Sunday as we're in Proverbs on Sunday mornings talking about the Queen of Sheba when she paid the money to go hear about the wisdom of Solomon and she left and she said, it is half of what has been told. It is incredible. And he's saying, Solomon in verse 1 to 3, when you come to God, come as you are because he can handle you. He can take all of our stuff. As that girl sat in my office and talked about, yeah, I know God has done this in people's lives. I know you talk about forgiveness. I know you talk about this. But we'll personalize it and say, yeah, 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 but not my situation. Let, not, let your words be few because God knows and God understands. It is Hebrews 4.16. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Sometimes when you are not doing well, in your Christian life, maybe some of you, it's, you have roller coaster seasons, maybe depending on work or what it is in family or holidays, 
you will feel like if you come back to God and you've done it a hundred times and maybe for some of you you say, yeah, but he already knows that I know what I'm supposed to do and I know I shouldn't do this. So I feel like if I even come back, it doesn't feel as real to me and to him. Whether it's your first day or your 100th day coming back to God, he would prefer the real you because isn't that the one he already knows? He already knows. And the reason I need to say it if he knows my heart is because when I say it, it becomes real to me that I am talking to him. It becomes real. It's a real experience. Matthew 6, Jesus would address the similar case. In verse 7, he said, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. In my prayer life, or in your prayer life, I often want to, like I said, we say significant things, we say smart things, but I believe that God would rather you just be yourself and talk to him. And when you come, because what Solomon is getting at in this book and why I think it's, it's hitting a nerve in my life and maybe in your life is because Solomon wants what you and I want. He just wants to be happy. That's all he wants. Not in a weird, materialistic way. He's already done that. He just wants to enjoy Monday morning's alarm clock. He wants to be excited on Sunday night. That's what you want. You want to enjoy the life God has given to you. And Solomon, you guys, we want the same thing that he wanted. And he's trying to say, you need to come. Not if, but when. And you need to come often. It's in Isaiah 62, 7. It says, give him no rest. And the reason I bring this up, it's talking about prayer until he establishes Jerusalem. Give him no rest. For a lot of us, depending on your relationship with your dad, your earthly dad, you will put God unknowingly in the same category in how your father has responded to you. And for some of us, we believe that God gets annoyed with us. He's a little bit bothered. He wants to know why you ask the same question over and over and over and over and over again. And we believe that, man, maybe God just thinks, I'm a bonehead and I should figure it out by now. I'm 27 years old. Which I should. <laughs> but... Isaiah teaches, bother him often. Give God no rest. He can handle you, he can handle me, and he can handle my troubles. When I come to God, come as I am. Not the projected version that I would like to be. Because when I come that way, he can't do the work he needs to do. And often, God needs to get the shovel out in my life. And the shovel is a symbol for me when I say that or think of the shovel. He's got to do some digging. And he cannot dig in my heart and in my life when it is the fake version of me. Which is my second point in verses 4 to 6. God needs real rather than fake. Verses 4 to 7. 
when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Which I love how he closes that thought off with fear. But God needs real rather than fake. And the ne- this next thought I have is real is necessary for growth. It's, it's, it's not even, even necessary, but it is essential for growth. And the reason God needs you to be real is because when it says, not, do not let your mouth lead you into sin, I often lie the most, the most, when I am talking to two people, myself and God. I'll just start making stuff up. And I have to decide, I have to decide, I will tell myself and I will tell God the truth even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. The truth about people who are growing people, who get better over the years, and what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 15, he said, immerse yourself in these things, in the Bible, he said, so that all may see your progress. As I immerse myself in these things, the people who grow and the people who are over the years able to look back and say, God has been working in my life, are the ones that can look in the mirror or start to pray and pray honest prayers. And I would never encourage this, but has not there been times when you were frustrated, you were praying and crying out to God, And you said some things maybe you shouldn't have said. You'd said the curse words. You had the hand up in the air, angry at God. But you had to get it out of you. And I can remember car rides. I can remember seasons where I was frustrated with what was going on in my life. And instead of pressing it down and playing pretend, I had to get it out. And as I get it out, God is able to say, okay, now, now we're talking. Now you're honest with me. And when he says, let not your mouth lead you into sin like a fool would do in verse 5 and 4 and 5, a fool, this is what a fool does. A fool comes to the house of God and says, I want to change, but does nothing about it. A fool approaches the house of God And he lies to himself and he lies to God. And when it says in verse 7, but God is the one you must fear. Again, I'm dabbling into chapter 12 too much, but we have to tonight because I'm in it. When he says fear, he's talking about our posture, not the physical posture, right? But our, our heart position to fear. All of us across the board, I fear someone or I fear something. I fear failure. I fear my wife. I told you I'm scared of that five foot two Italian woman. 
I am scared of some things in my life and whatever I fear the most will drive what I do. And he says, when you come to the throne of God, don't just babble. Don't start making stuff up. And even for some of you dads, you would remember, and I'm sure my dad can remember, when I would come and what would I do? I would lie. I'll make something up about this, how's this going, or this is going. And when you're a dad and your son or daughter started to lie to you, you almost laugh because you can smell it. You can see it, you can smell it, and you can say, why not just tell me the truth? And from a son's perspective, you would say, because I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to make, I don't want this to hurt my dad or this to hurt my mom. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to fear me and I want you to be honest. And I need real rather than fake because I can work with real. But if you've had a son or daughter or a coworker or someone under you who is fake, you can't do much with that because you need them to see where they actually are. Being real is necessary for growth. It says in Matthew, 7, or Matthew 5, 33 to 37, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord which you have sworn. And Jesus says, but I say to you, do not take an oath either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Empty promises to God. Jesus reiterates the point from Solomon, and as I approach God, and I need to say something like, God, I, I want to get better, but I'm a little bit angry right now, and I'm not sure why. God, I, I would like to grow. I believe you're working in my life, but I don't know why I'm so frustrated at small things that are very insignificant, being honest with God. God, would you help me? I looked at that girl a little bit longer than I should have, and I should not do that. Would you help me know why that's going on and I need to tell someone? Instead of just pressing it down, the little things, God wants real rather than fake. And then Solomon addresses the key to anxiety. Verse 8, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. In chapter 4, he told us that it grieved his heart. It's, we talked about last week what drives us away. And now he says, when you see the oppression of the poor, don't let it grieve your heart. Why would he say that? Don't be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by the higher, and there is a yet higher one over them. But this is a gain for the land in every way, and a king commit, committed to cultivated fields." So he's talking about growth here, and he's talking about, hey, when you get annoyed at a situation at work, and you're mad at your manager or your boss, don't get mad at him because there's someone over him who's annoying him, and the reason why he's doing that, and there's one over him who's over him. He said there's always one higher over the higher one. 
And he said there is somebody behind the scenes who is committed to cultivating growth, who is actually God. He is teaching. He is teaching in your relationships and when we are frustrated or anxious about what's over us, we don't like what's taking place, he said that God is the one who is over the next. And I don't want to jump too far to chapter 8 and talk about how God is the one who is allowing things in government and he is the one taking place behind everything and that he is the one that we trust regardless of the outcome. But that is what he is saying. Verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with its income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So he is teaching, I believe, and he who loves money will be satisfied, will not be satisfied with money. And we could talk about in 1 Timothy 6.10 how the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he's talking about money here. He's transitioning. And Solomon is teaching the key to anxiety, the key to the drive and wanting more is to always want more and not be content or satisfied with what you have. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content. And he says, The sweet of a laborer, or the sleep of a laborer is sweet. He said, The man who is not content and who is anxious is unable to what? Sleep. He puts his head down on the pillow, and everything going on, it keeps him up till two in the morning. He falls asleep for 10 more minutes and then he's up again. And then he's up again and then he goes to the bathroom and then he's up at the bathroom at five and then he's back down. And it's not, and I know some of you guys are like, I struggle with sleep just because I'm old. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. But if you are struggling with sleep and you would say, what, what is my driving force and what is my anxiety from? And Solomon is teaching the key to anxiety is always more. And isn't it always something more that causes anxiety? You already know this. I don't need the Bible to prove this. Um, you get a new, new car. What happens? You touch that thing, you die. You get a new phone. Some of you, you get a new motorcycle. And if someone, oh my, the kids touch it, knock it over, you, I mean, you're walking around with some Windex, you know, waxing on, wax off everything. It causes anxiety for you or it causes your attention. I mean, and a lot of times, it's not even wants. It might just be needs, right? Even when, you've bought, when I bought my first house, it caused more anxiety. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. What about this? I've never dealt with this, or I never dealt with that. And it's a need. It's something that you need. But more, if I am not satisfied or content, it will lead me or drive me to always wanting more. And he says in verse 12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer whether he eats little or much, and he has a full stomach. He's not talking about the man who had three steaks for dinner. He's not talking about the man who just had maybe a burger or two wings. Some of you are like, I held off, I only had eight. He's not talking about that. He says, whether the man was given a little or he was given a lot, sweet is his sleep when he trusts that it is from God. 
And he, a lot of us, the mon- and he keeps pressing the money issue because that was where some of his heart was at. And a lot of times we will say, well, I don't love money. I just love what? What it provides. I love what it provides. I love what it brings or the, the feeling of some, some type of certainty or security that I am in charge of or that we feel like we are in charge of. And Solomon says, if that is our mentality, if that is our focus, we will be left wanting more and sleepless. And Jesus said, as you know, in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He is teaching that your desires and your wants matter. And if my desires are off, I need to come to God real and honest with God. I don't know why I want this so bad, God. Would you correct my desires? God, I'm unable to sleep and rest well. It feels like I have no peace right now. Would you change my heart to want exactly what you want? And then Solomon takes a shift in verse 13. There's a grievous evil I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. I'm thinking James 5 right now. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his, an- in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and he shall take nothing from his toil that he may carry it away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to win him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation or frustration, in sickness, and in anger. That is a miserable life. I mean, that is the epitome of it. And Solomon is saying, there's a grievous evil I've seen. There's a businessman. There's people who are making money, they're doing their things, and they lost it all in a bad venture. I'm going to use the word luck. They lost on bad luck. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his deal. And some of you have seen people who have lost businesses or money or cars or horses. I don't know. They've lost things in a bad venture. And what did it leave them to be? Angry, frustrated, and sick. And the Bible talks about the whole person, the spiritual, the emotional, and the physical, and how it ministers to each part of us. And as David would say in Psalm 32, when he kept his sin to himself, what? His bones were wasting away. And when, his, when we place something or effort into it, this is what he's getting at with the, with the, with the money and the businessman. He said this, The businessman or the person with the money and the strong career or family or effort, and he says, it is because of how skillful I am and smart I am, that man will lose it every time, regardless of the end goal. The man who is able to say, I know nothing, I I don't know anything, I'm not much of a beast, but it was given to me by God, that man will find joy. We lose our way in order to find it sometimes. That is what Solomon is teaching. 
And then this fourth point I have tonight is Solomon's definition of joy. Verse 18. Behold, what I, what I, I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given to him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life. Because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. I believe This is what Solomon is saying. That in our life, I believe this guy is super depressed. Like I said, somebody, please take this guy to Woody's. Buy him a breakfast, pay for his coffee, pray for him, give him a hug, encourage him, do something for this guy. And in the midst of this letter, he says something, this little nugget here that I believe he's trying to teach There are some things in life that will always be frustrating. Always. Because of a Genesis 3 world, always because of what we're working against, always because it's against what we're supposed to do if we're living for Christ, if we're trying to honor God, there will always be some type of frustration. In the middle of that, I need to find peace and joy in whatever God has put my hand to do. Whatever it is. And he says in the wealth in the possessions, in everything else, I need to find contentment. Last week, chapter 4, verse 6. Better is one handful with quietness than two hands that are constantly digging. Solomon's definition of joy is whatever God has given to me, whatever he's put in front of me, I am able to do that and love what I do. Still have this annoying manager who's over the hire and the hire official, this annoying thing that I don't like about Monday morning at 8 a.m. or this annoying thing. But he says, in the midst of that, when you have the opportunity to just complain, whine, moan, complain, whine, on and on, and the taxes and this and that. He says, in the midst of all that, Find whatever God has given me to do. This is my joy and my lot in life. Because the days are long, but what? The years are short. And Solomon says, make sure you enjoy them because it is vanity and it is quick. I'm going to break you guys off into your tables right now. I'm going to give you 15 minutes and I will give you a two-minute Warning, go ahead and take some time at your tables. Hopefully the time at your tables um, was productive and uh, talking about maybe some, you know, going over the last four points and just some questions to consider. Uh, And I think that as as I was just thinking about tonight and as we're kind of talking about this guy Solomon and we're looking at his life, what I don't want... uh, as we look at this again, I've said every time, it shouldn't bring depression from us unless, unless God is trying to communicate something to us. It shouldn't bring out certain things in us. What I think it, what the goal is and what Solomon wants is that it would draw us closer to fear the Lord. 
that it would be to, and as this past Sunday, if you were here, to respect him, but also to revere him. And what we must remember about God is that God is in heaven, and we are on earth, and yes, our words should be few. But what is something that all of you, if you are a dad, what you want or have wanted for your kids? You want the best for them. You want, you want them maybe to learn from your mistakes. You want them to make, you know, make good decisions. But you want them to have the best life that they can have. It's what you think about. It's why it's, it's a, some of you, it's your work ethic. And those are good things. And it is God who I believe is saying the same thing to all of us. Hey, I have given you this life as a gift. I want you to enjoy it. It is a gift. I'm not trying to make you miserable. I'm not trying to make you depressed. I want you to follow me. And following me is the best possible life that you can have. So tonight as we end, I'm going to read Psalm 90. And as I read it, if you would stand with me. Um, go ahead and stand just where you're at. I'm going to read Psalm 90 verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> it says this, Lord, you have placed our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains you were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence." For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of of you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Father, we do pray along with Psalm 90 and Moses that we would fear you, that we would respect you. God, that you would give us wisdom, that we would understand how our our days are but like a sigh it is a va it is quick it's a vapor and god would you help us to live seeing you for who you truly are and seeing ourselves for who we truly are would we be honest when we approach you when we come would our goal be to change and be more like you 
And God, as you shape us and you mold us from day to day and we seek to honor you, I pray that each and every one of us in here would enjoy the work of our hand, that it would be a gift from you, that we would understand what you've called us to do in this season of life, that we would find purpose and joy. So God, we thank you for tonight, and God, would we not disrespect you in not believing that you have forgiven us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in believing that you have the best for us. Following Jesus makes us better at life and life better. We pray this in your name. And now all God's people said, amen.